This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? This is what revolution looks like. I'm tired of losing. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Arvin. And together we are reviewing Andor, uh, which I've been very, very excited to talk about. It is the latest installment in the Star Wars universe, Star Wars bunch of content, um, whether it's films or shows or animations. And it's been called, I mean you know, just casually, perhaps the best thing that's come out of this bunch of things recently. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so I've said before that Rogue One is probably my favorite Star Wars movie. I know it's an unorthodox choice. I know that it's not many people's favorite, like top, top Star Wars thing. Um, I love Rogue One, but even even I didn't think we needed an Andor spin-off. I wasn't so sure about this. Um, I wasn't actually hyped when they were putting out trailers and posters. I was like, okay, you know, we'll, we, we'll see where this goes. Um, after watching it, though, like, can we get Tony Gilroy to do everything Star Wars, like let him make Star Wars movies and cartoons and all of their side spin-off stuff. Because I, I admit that I maybe I enjoyed Mandalorian season one and two a bit more than Andor, but in terms of quality, um, this is on par with the best of the best of the best Star Wars stuff. So I have increasingly realized that Mando is, uh, since we're doing hot takes, I guess just go for it, right? Um, I think Mando is like NCIS, but in space. You know, it's a procedural. <laughs> That's basically what it is. You, you can have all you want about the the perhaps some might call it cult, some might call it practices. Anyway, um, you can have all you like about the mythology of the Mandalore and, and all the rest of it. But when it comes down to the structure of the episodes and how they sustain their interest, ultimately it's a procedural. It's a procedural in Star Wars, but it is a procedural. And um, once that dawned on me, the the love of Mandalorian started to to fade a little bit, I have to say. What I appreciate about Andor is, and this is something I want to discuss in a bit more detail, what I like about Andor is that it's a good show even if you don't like Star Wars, even if you don't really get Star Wars, even if you're not, even if you, I want to say, have not seen Rogue One, uh, you would still be able to engage with Andor just as a kind of almost prestige level TV show. Um, And it's quality in its own right. And I think that that sets it apart because it doesn't have to rely on the Star Wars backing to make it good. Oh, I, I love that you said uh, prestige because this is so prestige, right? Mm. And you don't normally see that in like, uh, you don't normally see that with big IP, I guess. Um, but Andor does that thing that all good spin off shows do in the sense that 
it has three acts or three parts within the the span of like 12 episodes so i think the first three episodes are like one arc and then you get like the middle arc and then the third arc sort of ties with the first one again and everything comes like nicely full circle um and like like you said i i don't think you need to watch star wars or no star wars to enjoy and or either you don't have to know where it sits in the timeline you don't have to know who mon mothma is or where everything is heading to or where everything is going in a way the show is so good that it's kind of more exciting for you and beneficial for you if you didn't know star wars like if you didn't see rogue one and you don't know a new hope this show then keeps you way more on the edge as opposed to the star wars fans who know exactly where this is this is headed so just to set it in place right uh, andor is a reference to cassian andor who was one of the main characters in rogue one um, one of the the rebels really who was involved in getting the plans for the Death Star, setting in motion a lot of the events of the Star Wars trilogy. And he, so in Rogue One, um, he was an intriguing character, but not necessarily someone that you would have thought of as having the, the richest, most amazing backstory. But Andor does that thing of telling his backstory, contextualizing his struggle, helping you understand how it is, what it is that brought him to, to the rebellion and what it is that keeps him there. And I think the, the way it's done, your point about the, the three act structure is a good one because the, I feel like the show is almost three shows. They're very, very different. Um, the opening mm. scenes of him being a someone with a mysterious past, um, but also kind of just general dodgy activities, just doing dodgy things, who finds himself getting sucked into this larger picture of uh, rebelling against the empire and eventually finding his way towards leadership. Uh, all of that is done, I think, really patiently and and the pace of it is what got to me um, and what kept me going. And it's also such a good origin story for him because yeah. like a lot of origin stories don't do that thing of of giving you, I mean, some of them do, but they don't actually dig deep into why the person does the things that they do. Um, and when we see Andor for the first time, he is he is a very different person than the one we see in Rogue One. Um, and it's going to be so interesting to see over the course of what, like two or three seasons they have planned, like how he gets from this point A all the way to being like hyper part of the rebellion and, and so gung-ho about the purpose and the cause and stuff because he's not there. Like, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this character is not anywhere in the ballpark of fighting for rebellion or, or caring about anything. Um, he is he is a rogue one um, by himself. <laughs> he, he, he thinks for himself. He does things for himself. Um, so I, I love that. I, I love how daring the show is to give us a character that's so different from the one we know. And, and then it goes like, look, this is what happens to people. And this is why people end up in the, the spaces and the places that they do. Daring and dare I say it kind of gritty. So... The thing about a lot of Disney shows is uh, that by its nature, House of Mouse, even though they try or they have adult content, as in content for adults, it never really gets all that adult. And um, Andor tries to break that a little bit. I think that there is a bit more dirt under the fingernails in this one. You can actually feel um, the the grit of the story. There's friction. Um, and I think without that, you can't really tell the story of somebody who goes from being a semi-good-for-nothing thief all the way up to the person he eventually becomes. Because if you sanitize parts of his story, and they get quite dark. I mean, this guy is somebody who 
who isn't afraid to do things just for himself, at least at the beginning. And the show is unapologetic about that. And if they had been apologetic, if they had soft-pedaled uh, the character of Cassian Andor, I don't think he would have been as compelling. No, I, I don't think he would have been. Um, and the thing is, right, it's, it's like a lot of people say that Star Wars is about light versus dark or good versus evil. But the best of Star Wars has always been about a balance between light and dark. It's always that middle ground, right? So if the good get out of hand, like the Jedi, they become too arrogant and too pompous, then then you see the rise of the Sith. And when the Sith become too strong, then you see the rise of the, the prophesized chosen one, the Luke Skywalkers, uh, the Rays and stuff. Um, and this show does that. It's it's um, it's always been about balance. It, it portrays that in such a beautiful way. Uh, it shows that people profit off of war. Uh, rebellion isn't as clean and pristine as we think it is. And, and both sides, it shows that both sides, including including Cassian Andor, are fanatical about their own agendas and their own beliefs. Um, and it's just told in that amazing Star Wars landscape. Now we see that, you know, we see the sand, we see the dunes, we see the rustic, the the, the vintage looking things that also look futuristic. Um, it's so well done. Like the production value and just the character building and world building is so, so good. I'm so glad you brought up fanatical because when I said gritty earlier, I realized I, make it, I made it sound as if it was only about uh, Cassian himself or Andor himself who's like that. But the truth is when you get behind the scenes uh, of the rebellion, and you see some of the decisions that they make, whether it is in strategy or in their personal lives and the the coldness with which they have to approach the greater good, so to speak. Um, it's quite chilling. And yet you also know, and, and the show makes it clear, that this is maybe the only way that they can achieve what it is that they need to achieve. Um, it also doesn't hide the... I think this is one of the most effective um, evil versions of the empire I've seen, or one of the most effective ways of showing the mundane, bureaucratic, truly horrible evil that the, em that the empire embodied. I think in the past, when you have one, you, when you have a Darth Vader, right, for instance, everything gets focused in the the march and the mask and the and all of it. And then you start thinking that that's the evil person. Um, but what Andor manages to do, whether it's in scenes about uh, imprisonment, whether it's about businesses struggling, you really get to see the ways in which this evil reached out into society. And I think for our times in particular, this is the version of the empire that we needed to see. Oh, yeah. Um that being said, though, did you also come away sort of understanding why people are the way they are within the Empire? Like, why they are so <laughs> brainwashed? Like, because I, the Empire is so bad and it's so evil. But then you see the employees, the the average employee that are, that are just carrying out their tasks that believe in the Empire, right? And I'm like, oh my God, this is why they do those things. Like, this is why people fire the Death Star. This is why people work on the Death Star. This is why people follow Darth Vader because something about it just twists them into doing these things and they think they're doing good like every every top employee in the empire thinks that they are upholding justice or order or some sort of good in the galaxy like they actually genuinely think they are the good guys and i'm like oh my god i i hate thinking that way like i want to hate the empire but now i'm also like uh, oh they're just brainwashed i did 
I did see that and I think that's part of what makes the show effective. Again, it's very nuanced, mm. which I don't think people often think about in relation to Star Wars. So it, it's satisfying. It hits all the Star Warsy things that you want. You're in the world. Um, there are the blasters, there are the ships, there's all the rest of it. But then at the same time, it also asks some, I think, uncomfortable questions about, so you support the good guys. All right. This is what the good yeah. guys are like as well. Uh, we're talking today about Andor. Let us know. Have you seen it? Have you enjoyed it? Did you like it? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. Best flipping moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. To steal from the Empire? You just walk in like you belong. They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn and Arvin. And together we are talking about Andor, uh, which is the latest in the Star Wars content universe um, and it's great. I think we've made it clear. It's very, very good. I did want to ask though and I think um, I, I really I wish Sharmila were here but I'm also kind of glad that at the very least Arvind, you are because I want to put this to you, all right? I found the first few episodes um, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm franchise tired. Um, I'm kind of really done. I, I'm I'm out. Um, and so it took me a little while, I have to say, to get back into the world of Star Wars. I know that for hardcore fans, it, it, this might not make sense. But um, I, I did find all the, the Fenrics and this and that and, you know, all the, the space Star Wars gibberish. Um, a little bit of a block to getting into the story. And then, of course, once it started flowing, it flowed. But I found myself wondering, would this story work if you removed all of that? So if we just had Diego Luna being amazing, doing this character that he's so, so good at, and it's still a similar arc, you're still fighting a greater evil, a greater organization, but it was not necessarily so Star Wars-y. Would it work? Um... I think so. I think so. Uh, I think even if you took took away the the whole empire rising and you took away the the rebellion context, if you just had Diego Luna being Cassian Andor um, on a mission to do something, whether he's a smuggler or a raider or he's you know a for hire assassin, whatever he is, um, I think he would have done such a good job, and he does such a good job that you'd believe in the show. I also found the first couple of episodes, maybe the first three episodes, very slow. Ah, and, thank and you. <laughs> like, it was it was so slow to the point where I'm like, yeah, maybe this is why they, they shouldn't have done, done the show. And it starts with death. It's a very strange yeah. thing because it starts with violence and a crime and someone on the run. And so you would think with all those things that it's going to be really fast-paced. But most of the pace happens in the second half of the show. The first part, you have to be a bit patient because it's setting up, it's actually setting up the characters and stakes, but doing it quite slowly. It's such a slow burn. And I think that if you lose interest in the first maybe two, three episodes, then you're not going to stick around. But it's so worth it if you stick around. Because I'm going to give it maybe episode five. There is a big like action sequence and a action set piece. And it looks beautiful like if if you've never seen the trailers if you haven't seen the teasers there is this whole thing about an eye 
that is just so <laughs> spectacularly done. And it's one of the best scenes in Star Wars. I'm going to say that easily that's in like top five best Star Wars scenes in terms of aesthetics and production and just design. So the reason why I opened with this is because we brought it up earlier, but I wanted to just kind of finish the thought, which is if you hate Star Wars or if you just get tired of people talking about Star Wars, you've never been a part of the world, you find science fiction or anything to do with it, off-putting, then I guess my question to you is, is Andor going to do it for you? Because I think it can, but you really do need to push past the, the early part with the, the early bits where there's a lot of immersion in the Star Wars world and therefore the kind of language and vocabulary that they use. Once you get past that, though, um, the story itself and the performances are so worth it. I'm going to say it's it's going to work also because... So a lot of people have been saying that Andor is a breath of fresh air um, to Star Wars, right? Which I don't agree with because I feel like Star Wars has always tried to reinvent itself. Like the prequels are so different from the original trilogy and then Rogue One is very different and The Last Jedi tries to reinvent itself, the the cartoon spin-offs. Star Wars has always been fresh in, in some form. Um, I think that Andor is the first Star Wars property to not feel the obligation to include fantasy in its storytelling um so it becomes a purely sci-fi star wars show which is which is huge because star wars has always been space fantasy um and i'm like super excited to see how they bridge the genres in seasons two and three because they have to right at some point they have to but yeah if if you're not a fan of star wars um and maybe you're not a fan of the space fantasy elements it's safe to say that the space fantasy doesn't count for anything at all in this show. Um, if you like any sort of sci-fi, Andor is a pure sci-fi Star Wars show, maybe the first of its kind. And it's also a show that is uh, that has thriller elements, espionage mm. elements. Um, it's also got great action sequences. So there's a lot of stuff packed into it that doesn't necessarily have to live in the science fiction realm. By the way, two seasons, that's it. They've already said they're concluding in season two. Ooh, I know. It's high stakes, right? Um, so that makes me a bit uh, concerned because th- there's so little, not to say so little, there's so little that happens in season one of Andor that doesn't connect to Rogue One. And they've said that the, the final episode, the finale of Andor is going to connect directly into Rogue One. Yeah, which so think, yeah. they've re-emphasized that, but they've also said that, um, I suspect it was just too expensive. They said due to the scope, <laughs> they've had to cut down oh, the wow. number of seasons. So yeah, um, by the way, I, I think... We've mentioned him already, but Diego Luna is just something else in this. I think he really anchors the whole thing. He makes it feel real. Um, he makes the character feel lived in. You believe everything that happens to him. But beyond that, there are so many great performances. Um, Adria Arjona is great. Fiona Shaw is great. Um, and then there are a pair of truly excellent voices in the form of Stellan Skarsgård and Andy Serkis. <laughs> there's there's a mm-hmm. lot going on. And I, I'm not even covering everybody because I think that across the board, the performances were really good. The performances were so good. And I think with the kind of monologues that were just peppered throughout the show, like so many good characters have so many amazing monologues. Chills. Um, chills, like super, super chills. Um, I think you need performers like that, right? Like like Stellan Skarsgård has this long-winded... It would be long-winded <laughs> if, he, if he was not a good performer, but because he is, you are just like hooked and listening to like every single word he's saying. And the way he just drops every single word is just... 
Oof. Um, we can't say a couple of others. Like a couple of others have some really powerful stuff, but that would be like minor spoilers. But yeah, I, I think this this show also gives us some of the best Star Wars dialogue. Like uh, you know, compared to a bunch of its other movies. I think it also does a really good job of fleshing out the politics uh, that the Empire operated yeah. in, and uh, this is part and parcel, I think, of extending the the universe or making you understand exactly where it is that they were coming from. Because there are references to the Senate. Um, we've seen it before. We, we've seen the way in which the politics of Star Wars operates. But this is the first time that you really have to reckon with the boring stuff. Um, you know, the schmoozing, the trying to create policy, the trying to get funding, the trying to create allies. And uh, some of the allies that happen, again, with the people who are supposed to be good characters, with the people who are supposed to be the good guys, some of the decisions they make are so deeply discomforting that it's to the show's credit that they actually go there. Do you think that introducing fantasy into the story is going to dilute all of that stuff? Because we know who Mon Mothma is um, yeah. in, in the context of the rebellion and the, the rebel alliance and, and who she is, right? But, you know, she she makes so many decisions that are so rooted in logic and uh, circumstance and just like the politics, like you said. But then at the end of the day, there is a there is a Luke Skywalker waiting somewhere. There's there's a dark wizard with a lightsaber waiting somewhere. Uh, there's an emperor waiting on the horizon. Do you think all of those things, like if they introduced it, and at some point Jedi is going to come in to mm. the context of Rogue One, do you think that's going to take away from all the, the human quote-unquote things that are happening in this season and this show? I don't think so. So I'm, I'm a bit scared because um, I said about Ted Lasso before season two was done, that I'll trust them to land the plane. It's going to be great. And then season two was just such a, such a letdown in its totality. So I want to say that right now, I feel as if um, same showrunners, same directors, you've got your Tony Gilroy's and your Bo Willimons. And, you know, I think that it's going to be fine. I think that they... they understand what they're trying to do with Andor and that season two is going to be good. I say that now, I've been burned before. Um, I'm confident also. I'm very confident. But at the same time, I'm, I think I'm one of those people, I'm just curious. Like, I'm so curious how a Tony Gilroy is going to introduce fantasy into this world. Because I think that fantasy is in the DNA of Star Wars. Like, it needs fantasy to be what it is. Like, it can't be purely sci-fi. It's good as an, like an experiment, as a one-off thing. But I just want to see how they bridge those, those two things and, and, you know, how seamless the threads are going to be. Because... It's going to happen. Like at some point, I am prepared that at some point, someone's going to light up a lightsaber. Um, and then we're going to be like, oh, okay, he's there. So we've seen, just in closing, right, because we've seen Disney in particular try to do this. Um, you could argue that they were trying to give the fans what they want. You could also argue that this is just a cash grab. Not this in particular, but the act of constantly going back and revisiting and origin stories and spinoffs and all the rest of it. Has Andor set the mark? Because I found myself thinking, I don't understand how Black Widow failed to be to do some of the things that Andor is doing. Um, I, I found myself thinking of the other origin stories they've attempted to do. And to me, I think Andor has now set the mark of, if you're going to go back and do a story, if you're going to go back and revisit a character, then this is how you do it. Oh, 
um, 100% it set the bar, set the mark. Um, but at the same time, right, I'm I'm also worried that Andor is going to become like a Dark Knight situation where everyone tries to be an yeah, Andor. You this know what is I mean? true, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be so cringy if if you attempt an Andor but you don't know how to be an Andor. Because Andor is like very specific. There's a very specific Andor vibe going on. Um, but yeah, I, I would safely say that it, it set the bar. Like if you're going to do a prequel or a spin-off, then do it like this. Like tell us something we don't know. So if you haven't seen it yet, do it because it's very good. If you have seen it, let us know. Did you like it? Uh, we've been talking today about Andor. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.